This is CNN Breaking News. Today on Inside Politics, a major development out of the Middle East. Qatar just announced an agreement to extend the Israel-Hamas truce for another two days. We're still waiting to hear from the Israeli government. It is also unclear when the hostages who were expected to be released today will make it out of Gaza. So far, 58 hostages have been freed. That includes 40 Israelis, some of whom are dual nationals, 17 Thai citizens and one citizen from the Philippines. CNN is all over the region covering this fast-moving story, including my colleague Wolf Blitzer, who is in Tel Aviv. Wolf, I am so glad that you're joining us for the hour here. This agreement is a very big deal. It certainly is. Uh, another two days, that means that more hostages will be released, allowed to leave Gaza, go through Egypt, presumably, and show up in Israel. So for Israel, that's really important news. For Hamas, it's an additional two days where there won't be any, any fresh airstrikes or ground assaults by the Israelis. So they'll have some time to regroup. That's what they want. They also want more humanitarian aid coming into Gaza. So there's another at least two days where all these trucks will be bringing humanitarian supplies, food, water, medicine, all sorts of other things into Gaza. And that's important. And another two days of this agreement, Dana, will also allow Israel to release more Palestinian prisoners and detainees. Hamas wants that as well. So there, there are some important developments and we're watching all of this very, very closely. And as you correctly point out, we're waiting to hear directly from the Israeli government to confirm that another two days of this pause will go forward. Okay, well, stand by because we're gonna go right now to MJ Lee at the White House. MJ, you uh, were part of the reporting team to, to break this news. What are you hearing about the details of this extended truce. Yeah, the extension of this four-day truce by two additional days has just been announced. And actually, a White House official is now confirming as well uh, that the truce is being extended by an additional two days. Uh, Dana, just keep in mind the original parameters of the original deal. Uh, it was a four-day pause in fighting for the release of 50 uh, women and children hostages in exchange for Palestinian prisoners being released uh, by the Israelis, as well as humanitarian aid uh, flowing into Gaza. Uh, the understanding, though, was always that there could be an extension of this four-day truce uh, if Hamas was able to release additional hostages. Uh, Ten hostages would buy Hamas an additional uh, one day in pause uh, in fighting. But also Israeli and U.S. officials had always believed, too, that there were more than 50 women and children hostages, as many as potentially about a several dozen more hostages. So the fact that this truce is being announced uh, seems to indicate that there is an understanding that Hamas would be able to turn over additional women and children hostages uh, in the coming days. Uh, of course, we know that one thing that Hamas has insisted is that they needed this pause in fighting to be in place in order to actually gather up information about the hostages, to physically locate some of these hostages, which our understanding is that Hamas doesn't even have a full picture of where some of these hostages are located. Okay, MJ, thank you so much for that reporting. I, I really appreciate it. Uh, and now I want to talk about what happened, more about what happened with this agreement. It was announced by Qatar, uh, and it was announced just a couple of minutes ago. And at this point, Israel, as we've been told, has not yet mentioned anything about it. 
Hopefully our next guest, Mark Regev, will be able to. He is the senior advisor to Prime Minister Netanyahu. Thank you so much, Mark, for being here. Can you tell us the details as you understand it inside the Israeli government of this extended truce? So I think we, we, we have to say the following. Before we talk about extending the deal, we have to implement the current deal, and we're waiting for the last batch of hostages of women and children who are supposed to be released this evening. And until they are safely on Israeli uh, soil, we can't say that the four-day agreement for the 50 hostages has been implemented. Uh, having said that, my prime minister spoke publicly last night and he was, uh, his remarks were reported on CNN. He said that we are open to the extension of this uh, humanitarian pause uh, for, as your reporter said quite correctly, for every 10 hostages released, we're willing to give an extension of another uh, day. And if Hamas will release Israeli hostages as agreed, we will extend. That's, that's the bottom line. So that means if it's going to be extended for two more days, and I understand what you're saying about what's going to happen today, and I'll get to that in a minute, but just staying on this deal that uh, was just announced inside Qatar and the White House is also confirming if it is uh, one day, one more day of a truce for every 10 hostages, if it's two days, presumably that means Hamas has agreed to 20 additional hostages after today? That's correct. Once again, uh, the parameters were set. Uh, these were negotiated with the help of President Biden, and we thank him for being, putting his effort and his office behind, behind these arrangements. We wouldn't have, I don't think we would have reached the deal without his input. And yes, it was agreed. Every extra day, we get 10 hostages, and we're, we're, we'll stand by that. Were they, uh, so far, they have only been women and children, and that was the, <clears throat> those were the parameters of this initial deal. What about the extension? Will men be included there? My understanding is that there's still enough women and children in Gaza held by Hamas that can fill that, uh, that for the next 20. Uh, Hamas is responsible for all the hostages. They are, unfortunately, but they are the government there in Gaza. They control the situation on the ground. The cease cessation of, of fighting has given them the opportunity to uh, to you know to find every last hostage and we're expecting uh, tonight to see the final group of women and children and hopefully in the coming days uh, we'll see more can you just uh expand on what you just said and how you started in this interview talking about the current situation what is the holdup you said that there is a holdup what is the sticking point when it comes to the group of women and children expected to be released today? As you know, this is the fourth and final uh, uh, release in the, in the framework of the four days. Uh, uh, but as you know, I think it was only last night that they actually got out on time. On the first day and the second day, there were delays, there were last minute crises, there were all sorts of problems. And the truth is, we have to remember who we're dealing with. We're dealing with a ruthless, fanatical terrorist organization, Hamas. And uh, it's always like pulling teeth. I mean, it, uh, it's difficult. It's never easy. And that's why I urge, let's wait to see what happens tonight, that we see our people, the released hostages, uh, safely on uh, Israeli soil. I mean, last night, 
we had uh, 13 Israeli women and children released. The youngest was that four-year-old American Israeli, mm -hmm. uh, Abigail Idan, right? She was kidnapped when she was three. So you have to ask what sort of people kidnap three-year-olds, three right? And, and I think that tells you everything you need to know about Hamas and explains why it's so difficult. Uh, these people are ruthless. And uh, if they think there's an advantage in them for, for, for perpetuating the suffering of these innocent civilians and their families in Israel, they will do so if they think it's in their interest. Well, she was three and <clears throat> her parents were also, according to President Biden, murdered. murdered brutally right in front they of her on, on October 7th. Yeah. So, so I completely Correct. take your point. Uh, having said that, the, they are the organization that you have to deal with because they are the ones who have these women and children. So given that reality, uh, that unfortunate reality that you are dealing with, what is the status, as far as you know, of those who are supposed to come out today? So once again, we have re received some, some good signals, but until they are on Israeli soil, it's not done. It, it, we can't celebrate. And it's the same for the families who've been waiting for these people for over 50 days now. Uh, once again, once they are on Israeli soil, we can say it has been done. Mm. But we're all, we've got to be cautious. With Hamas, you've got to be cautious. You need nerves of steel when you're dealing with these sort of people. Mark, I want to ask about one of the sticking points over the weekend, which was that uh, there was a child released without her mother, the Rotem family. Hila was re released and her mother was not, Raya. What is your understanding at this point of why that is, particularly now since you have been able to, officials in your government have been able to speak with the daughter about the last time she saw her mother. Can you give any more information about that? I can only say the following, Dana. Uh, um, to release a young child without a parent, that is the most inhumane thing, to release a daughter and for the mother to stay in captivity. Once again, that is a, another manifestation of what we're dealing with. These people are heartless, these people are depraved. These people lack any sense of common decency. And that is our enemy. And when the fight against Hamas is resumed, I want people to remember that Israel is fighting a ruthless and despicable terrorist organization. And when we defeat them, as we will, that won't just be good for Israel. Uh, our people deserve to live in, in, in safety and in security. Yes, not to fear terrorists crossing the border in the middle of the night and butchering their children. But the people of Gaza also deserve better. Yep. Hamas has been ruling Gaza for 16 years. And what have they bought the people of Gaza? Just suffering and pain and poverty. Uh, everyone in this region will be better off without Hamas. Just if I may, you described uh, the, uh, the unfortunate human situation here, terrible human, barbaric human situation. But what about the why? Are you concerned that her mother and others have been separated from Hamas and are now in captivity by other groups inside Gaza? Look, from Israel's perspective, uh, Hamas can't subcontract out any responsibility. They are responsible. And the reason for the pause was not to give any excuses because, mm -hmm. they, you know, if they were 
If Israel continued attacking, they could say, well, right. we couldn't get out of our bunker to find the hostages. They've had now four days of pause. They're the guys that control the Gaza Strip. Unfortunately, I wish it wasn't the case. It soon won't be the case. But at the moment, they're in charge and they are responsible for all the hostages. Mark Regev, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And Wolf, I want to bring you back in now. Uh, your reaction, knowing uh, not only Mark Regev, but knowing the situation as well as you do to uh, the news there. I mean, I will say, obviously, he confirmed this deal. But at the end, he talked about when the military operation resumes, not if, when. Well, the Israeli uh, Defense Ministry, the Israeli, the IDF, the Israeli political leadership, the War Cabinet, they are all basically on the same page saying that uh, after they obviously want to get all the Israeli hostages, all the hostages out of Gaza in back to Israel. That's uh, obviously a top priority, if not the top priority. But they're also saying that even after that, they're going to continue their struggle against Hamas. They don't want Hamas to be in charge of Gaza because they fear that what happened on October 7th mm -hmm. could happen again. So they're going to continue to go after Hamas and resume their military activity, whether airstrikes or ground assault. Uh, they're making it abundantly clear that is not going to stop. It's stopping as long as this temporary truce, and they call it a truce, a pause. They're not calling it a ceasefire. As long as this is going on, they're going to pause in, in the Israeli military action against Hamas. Uh, but uh, they, they, they are making it abundantly clear that is not going to pause forever. They're going to go after Hamas, and that's going to be very significant. Yeah, absolutely. Wolf, thank you. And just to underscore the news from Mark Regev, two additional days, as CNN has been reporting, which will mean 20 additional hostages, and they will only be women and children. They are not yet talking about releasing the male hostages inside Gaza, assuming that the hostages actually come out today, which has not yet happened. Wolf, stand by. Coming up, we are going to be talking more about what will happen today as we get more information about this extended truce. Stay with us. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back. I'm Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv. Ash in Washington, I want to get right to the White House where National Security Council spokesman John Kirby is talking to reporters. Let's listen with anybody else while he's here. Yes, uh, President-elect uh, uh, Malay will be coming into Washington, D.C., largely to meet with the IMF over uh, and the World Bank over, uh, um, over their fiscal and economic issues. Uh, but while he's here in town, he'll have a chance to meet with some National Security Council uh, uh, folks, including uh, Jake Sullivan. No plans to meet with the president, right? No plans to meet with the president. The president will, as you think you know, be on travel in the middle of the week. Thank you. Uh, on the remaining Americans who are being held, do you have any more clarity on whether they're being held by Hamas or with one of these other terrorist groups? No. 
And, you know, all along you've been very clear about concerns that a broader ceasefire would only benefit Hamas. Sullivan was pretty clear yesterday in saying that, you know, Hamas has been able to gain some benefit from this. How concerned are you that the longer this truce lasts, now six days, um, that Hamas will benefit? And how do you weigh that? It's a real risk. Um, uh, you have to expect a group like Hamas, a terrorist group. Uh, which clearly doesn't abide by laws of war, will try to take advantage of any pause in the fighting for their own benefit. So we're watching that closely, as well as our Israeli counterparts. You can you can bet that they're watching that closely. Uh, but, and I don't want to speak for uh, the Israelis, but I mean this is a, a calculated risk that Prime Minister Netanyahu and his war cabinet are willing to take in order to get those hostages out. So it's a it's a balance. Um, and as you've also heard the Israelis say that once uh, the pauses are over. Uh, they intend to go right back at military operations. And when you say that you know, Hamas has been able to get some benefits so far, is that restocking, resupplying? What is that benefit? It's, it's, you know, I would just say that without getting into intelligence issues, that any pause in the fighting uh, could benefit uh, uh, your enemy in terms of time to refit, to rest your fighters, to rearm them, uh, re-equip them. Um, uh, you know, a pause in the fighting can can be seen as a as a benefit, but I, again, I want to stress, and this was always part of the calculus. Uh, any discussion of pauses uh, um, was always part of the calculus that that Hamas might try to benefit from it. But so too have the Israeli people benefited by the return of of their loved ones and hostages. So too have the American people benefited now with little Abigail back with her family. So again, it's a balance. Um, and um, again, I won't speak for the Israeli Defense Forces, but when, but, but when they have when, when these pauses are over, then they have made it very clear that they're going to continue to target Hamas leadership. John, how many Americans are still being held hostage, and do you have proof of life? We think the number is, um, well, it's less than 10, probably in the neighborhood of, you know, about eight to nine. Um, but we don't necessarily have firm, solid information on each and every one of them. And why haven't the two American women who are with the with Abigail, what, what happened with them? Why haven't they been released? Well, we certainly hope that we'll see them uh, in, 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 in hopefully today. And if not today, certainly over the next couple of days, we want to see them back with their families where they belong as well. The, the lists are developed by Hamas. Uh, and then, of course, there's the Israelis developed their list of Palestinian prisons that they're going to release. And we're not involved in the specific drafting of the lists and the determination on Hamas's side of who's going to come out on any given day. Obviously, we want to see those two American women released as soon as possible. And the truce being extended two days, what, what happens now? Do you want to get, like, three days next or a permanent truce? What, what, what's the thing? It's like I said in my opening statement, Steve. We're, we're grateful that we've got an extra two days to work with here. That'll, that'll result in the release of 20 more individuals, yes. women and children. And as I said uh, right at the top, we'd certainly like to see even that extension extended further uh, until all the hostages are released. That's really the goal here, get all the hostages home with their families where they belong. And we, you know, however, however long that could take. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, just to follow up on the question about uh, Millet visiting Washington, you mentioned that most of his meetings would be with the IMF, <laughs> but who will be he meeting at the White House, at the NSC? And what are the expectations of the White House for this meeting? And more broadly, what are the expectations of the president for the relationship between the two nations? I already answered that question. He's going to be, he'll have a chance to meet with Jake Sullivan um, and potentially other folks here at the NSC. We'll have to see how that shakes out. Uh, president won't, unfortunately, be able to meet. You've been listening to John Kirby, National Security Council spokesman at the White House. Uh,
confirming, as we heard from Mark Regev earlier on this program, that there will be an additional 20 hostages released who are now inside Gaza as a result of this extended two-day pause. Also uh, saying that they still don't know exactly how many Americans are still inside Gaza. They believe at the White House it's eight and nine, but not entirely sure. We're going to take a quick break ahead. We are going to speak with an Israeli woman whose aunt and cousins were released by Hamas this weekend, but she still has several other family members being held hostage inside Gaza. Welcome back. I'm Dana Bash in Washington. And I'm Wolf Blitzer in Tel Aviv. And Wolf, I know uh, you spoke earlier with the uncle of Hilla Rotem, who was released on Saturday. She was the child released without her mother. I can't even imagine how emotional that interview was, Wolf. I spoke with, uh, with her uncle, uh, Hilla's uncle, uh, his name is Yair Rotem, uh, and I drove out to uh, Ramat Gan outside of Tel Aviv to one of the hospitals, the Sheba Medical Center for Children uh, at Tel Shomer. Uh, and we met for a while, and it was a very, very emotional, powerful interview because I heard her uncle Yair talk about how significant it was that he was finally getting together with his little 13-year-old niece. And today, by the way, is her birthday. She's in the hospital at that children's hospital in Ramat Gan outside of Tel Aviv. But her mother was supposed to be there as well, Raya. Uh, and as part of the deal, the deal, according to U.S. and Israeli officials and others, uh, if little children were released, they would have to be released with at least their mothers, if their mothers were being held as well. And Raya, the mother, the sister of Yair, is still being held. She was not released. And this is considered to be by the Israelis, the U.S., and others, a clear violation of the initial agreement. Once you release children, if they are with their parents, the parents are released as well. The children don't have to leave their parents behind. And, and little uh, Hila uh, had to leave her mother behind. And, and I spoke with uh, Yair, the uncle, about all of this. And uh, he was very, very powerful in what he was saying, obviously thrilled that he could spend a little bit of her 13th birthday together, but so, so upset that his sister uh, was not being released. Uh, and, and, and I want to play a little clip, Dana, from our interview. Listen to this. She told me, yeah, mother is here. And they came and they took us. And um, they didn't give us a lot of time to prepare, but I had time to give her a hug. And Raya, my sister, her mother, was crying when the girls, the children left. And um, yeah, that's how it ended. And Raya is still there. She had to just say goodbye to her mother. She don't know what is going to happen with her mother. The mother is not going, is, the mother doesn't know what happens with Hila. I, I'm sure my sister, Hila's mother, don't know what's gonna be next. Are they going to set her free? Are they gonna jail her again? Are they gonna murder her? Hila and Emily, the first thing that they saw, that they said when they met me was, yeah, we've been with, with uh, Raya the whole time, my sister. And Hila also told me, look at my hair. My, uh, my mother cut it for me when we're in captivity. So they were together. Uh, Hamas uh, put out a statement saying they didn't know where the mother was. Uh, the little girl, Hilla, said she was with her mother the whole time, including at the very end. They know exactly where she is, but they refused to let her be released as part of this deal. If a child is released, the mother is supposed to be released as well. And this is causing a lot of 
uh, anger here in Israel. I got to tell you, Dana, a, a lot of Israelis say this is a clear violation by Hamas and Hamas is going to pay for this. They want those kids released, but they also want the parents released at the same time so that the, the, the children don't have to be suffering. Where's mommy? Where's daddy? Why aren't my parents with us right now? So they're very, very upset about this. And it's going to be a continuing issue, I'm sure, until this mother is freed. And it's trauma on top of trauma on top of trauma. I mean, such an emotional interview, but an important issue, uh, interview, Wolf, because we didn't know if, uh, if she actually was with her mother. And uh, according to the uncle you spoke with, they were together and she was ripped apart from her mother. It's yet, yet another thing that is unimaginable that is happening at the hands of these barbaric terrorists. Uh, well, thank you. We'll be right back to you. But first, I, I want to talk about the hostages that have been released by Hamas. We explained that there have been about 40. There are still hundreds more inside Gaza, including uh, Raya, as we've been just discussing. I'm joined now by Shira Havron. She knows firsthand what it feels like to be on the waiting side, on the way, part of the waiting game. But the good news, Shira, thank you so much for being here, is that six members of your family were finally released by Hamas over the weekend. We should, we should say that one remains in captivity, uh, 38-year-old Tal Shoham. But first, I just wanted to tell our viewers that you and I spoke on October 16th. You had just been in Brussels. You were pressuring members of the European Union to push for the release of hostages. Here we are six weeks later. As I mentioned, six members of your family are free. What do you hear from them? Have you been able to speak with any of them to get a sense of their uh, of their situation? So first of all, thank you for having me again. Uh, personally, I haven't met them yet because we're taking it slow for them. They're resting, they're organizing. But uh, my dad was there and some other family members, of course, my cousins. And, you know, they seem physically okay, relatively. Um, they were talking, they were laughing, they were very happy, obviously, to see everyone and to be here back home. Uh, but obviously, as you said, it's uh, extremely bittersweet because we have the kids now and my cousin, their mom, but we don't have their dad with them and they need him. And this is why we will keep fighting for him and all the other hostages that are still left behind waiting to come home uh, as much as my family did. Um, but definitely uh, a relief uh, uh, that gives you strength to move on. And we're showing photos of your family uh, as they had arrived back in Israel and uh, uh, of your your cousin, I believe, holding a teddy bear. It's just hard to imagine what it was like for for her in particular, but but everybody uh, held captive for, for so long, almost seven weeks. Uh, your aunt is 67. Your uh, cousin is 38. And then there's the children, Nave eight, Yahel, three, and Noam, 12. What do you hear specifically, and we're showing photos of them on the screen right now, uh, Shira, what do you hear specifically about the children? Children are obviously resilient, but they, uh, they store trauma pretty deep. Yeah. Um, you know, now they're just uh, playing with everyone and happy to see everyone and excited, but, uh, uh, 
um, obviously things will come up. We assume we know it's going to be a very long uh, process of uh, recovering and healing and we are here to hug them and to be with them and do whatever they need and support them. And, you know, I'm sure that very soon, if not uh, already, they've been asking for weeks, where is their father? Um, who knows how long they didn't see him. Um, and obviously they need him, as I said. So I'm sure it's uh, such a shock to them, um, but also very exciting. I'm, I'm sure they're uh, confused how, I mean, how do you even start to imagine what they've been through and how they've been through so much more than me in the past 50 days, yeah. 52 days. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really, it's shocking and it's, uh, it's good and it's complicated. So very I'm sure complicated. they're feeling... Yeah, very yeah. complicated. And have you been able to get any information, maybe your father who was with them, about what the situation was like, what the conditions were like during their time mm -hmm. in captivity? Um, you know, the, besides the fact they're all taken out together, they'll have to be obviously investigated and talk to the authorities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for now, we can't really know, um, but I'm sure as the time goes by, they'll talk more and we'll know more whenever they're feel prepared to talk to us and share. Um, and we just hope it was, you know, bearable at some level, but obviously, um, yeah. you know, I can only imagine what they've been through. Yeah, absolutely. And we should say that your grandparents were the founders of Kibbutz Be'eri back in 1947, and also, as I mentioned, three members of your family, Avshalom, Eviatar and Liach were all murdered, so may their memory be a blessing. Thank you for sharing your story, and we're happy to hear that six of your family members are back home. Thank you, Shira. Thank you so much. We need to keep this on the agenda, even though you know we yeah. have releases now. We need more. Thank you. Thank you. And here in the United States, a suspect was arrested in connection to the shooting of three Palestinian college students in Burlington, Vermont. The investigation into whether this could be a hate crime is ongoing. CNN's Polo Sandoval is live in Burlington with the latest. Polo, uh, you just heard from local law enforcement moments ago. What did they say? Right. And I just stepped out of Burlington City Hall, Dana, where that press conference is ongoing right now. So here's what I can tell you. Here are some of the key takeaways thus far as that conference does continue. Uh, those three young Palestinian-American men who were shot here in Burlington on Saturday evening, they continue to recover some more injured than others. Uh, but also what we heard just a short while ago was uh, a little bit more about the investigation that led to the arrest of the suspect just past midnight and 48-year-old Jason Eaton, who made his first court appearance earlier today, entering a plea of not guilty to triple attempted murder. Uh, but the police chief here in Burlington also telling us more about what led investigators to their suspect. It was a series of door knocks, basically investigators going door to door in that community, not far from where I'm standing. Uh, they eventually knocked on Mr. Eaton's door, and that is when, according to court records and according to what I just heard from the police chief say, uh, he said something to the effect of, I have been waiting for you. Uh, the investigation then proceeded. They moved forward. They eventually 
eventually uh, detain him, eventually secure a search warrant. That leads investigators into Mr. Eden's apartment, and that is where they discover a 380 caliber pistol. Now, interesting detail that we just learned right now, according to ATF Ballistics, just back, uh, the police chief saying that they have been able to connect the pistol that was seized from inside of the suspect's apartment to the casings that were found on that sidewalk where those three young Palestinian-American men were shot. Now, the big question that still lingers here that remains unanswered even today is a motive. Uh, authorities saying that they are cautioning the public not to jump to any conclusions. They are certainly looking into the possibility that it was a hate crime. But at this point in time, as of this moment, they are not prepared to officially classify it as such. But federal authorities are certainly standing by waiting to intervene if it does reach that point. Yeah, a very important unanswered question. And uh, no matter what, it's very good news that the three uh, young men who were shot are still recovering in the hospital. Thank you so much for that, Polo. Yeah. Appreciate it. And up next... Again, here in Washington, we are, and in the United States generally, it is seven weeks to go until the Republican primary campaign is officially underway, and that will be in Iowa. The battle between Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley is only getting hotter. We have some new details after a short break. Hacks is coming back, and so is the official Hacks podcast. With us, your hosts. I'm Paul W. Downs. I'm Jen Statsky. And I'm Lucia Aniello. We're the creators and showrunners. Each week on the podcast, we'll break down the new episodes. We'll also have special guests, cast and crew from the show like Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart. Hacks Season 3 is available to stream now on Max. Be sure to listen wherever you get your podcasts or listen directly on Max. Welcome back to Inside Politics. We are seven weeks away from the Republican Iowa caucuses, which means voters will finally have their chance to weigh in on who will be the GOP presidential nominee. Joining me here to discuss is CNN's political director, David Chalian. David, open your giant political brain and let us know what the state of play is at this moment, seven weeks out. Well, we're about to enter a new phase of this campaign. Yes, Donald Trump is the clear frontrunner for the Republican nomination. But as you just noted, no voter has actually weighed in on that yet. And so we are now entering a phase inside of 50 days uh, for the Republican caucuses where one of these other candidates are now going to have to be on a proving ground that they are the alternative to Donald Trump. Namely, that is a battle between Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former U.N. Ambassador uh, Nikki Haley. They are going to be in a whole new context with each other in these next weeks ahead. And that is both on the debate stage, on the ground in organizing, and of course, in tens of millions of dollars of advertising on the airwaves. Okay, so let's talk about the advertising, uh, because we have a, a breakdown of what Iowa voters are seeing. Uh, Never Back Down, that is the uh, DeSantis pack, 16, almost $16.5 million that they've spent so far uh, in advertising SFA fund, that's Nikki Haley's group, 13 and a half, and MAGA, of course, we don't need to tell you who that is, uh, over or at least the outside group, almost $11 million. What does that tell you? And that is, as you note there, 
what has been spent. So far. When we also look at the reservations from here on out, we see Nikki Haley's campaign, not her super PAC, now getting in the game in a way that they weren't. Uh, and you see that with the other campaigns as well. Now it's time uh, for the campaigns themselves to start uh, not necessarily delivering their closing message. I think we're a few weeks away from that, but start owning their own framing of the narrative around these candidates. The, to me, the two big dynamics down to watch. Ron DeSantis has put all his chips on Iowa at this point. In fact, coming up this coming weekend, he's going to hit his 99th county, uh, the full Grassley, if you will, touring the entire state. He's put all his energy there. He needs to show an actual, if not outright, win against Donald Trump, a clear success that boosts him out of Iowa to have staying power in this race. Nikki Haley's chosen a different strategy. She's playing in both Iowa and New Hampshire, trying to emerge from the first two contests as the last person standing against Trump to head into her native South Carolina and try to take him on there. And the Wall Street Journal's headline kind of speaks to that last point you made. Nikki Haley's challenge, keep anti-Trump GOP vote, add some Trump backers. To me, this has been the most significant challenge of the Haley campaign. She has done really well with independent-minded Republican primary voters, uh, with suburbanites, with some of actually the demographics that Republicans are so eager to do well with in a general election context. But Donald Trump is still dominating with the hardcore Republicans and the like and his committed supporters. The question is, are there enough Republican primary voters, Dana, mm -hmm. swimming where Nikki Haley is fishing or it seems perhaps not, and she does need to convert some people who are with Trump or with DeSantis and bring them over into the Haley fold. Yeah, that I, is a key challenge. And, and it's the, an open question, particularly given how poll after poll you come on the show and talk about how sticky Donald Trump's support is. It, it is. It, there's no doubt about it. It's one of the most identifying characteristics of Donald Trump and this era of the Donald Trump sort of owned Republican Party. But polls aside, yeah. voters are going to actually get to weigh in here, which is going to, in and of itself, help alter the dynamic in the race. Yeah, no question. And Iowa is a very different electorate than New Hampshire, which we'll talk about yeah. a lot in the weeks to come. Thanks so much, Thank David. You. Appreciate it. And up next, we will remember Rosalind Carter. The former First Lady's motorcade will make its final journey across southern Georgia, allowing her beloved Georgians to say goodbye. New information just into CNN. President Jimmy Carter is expected to attend his wife Rosalind Carter's memorial service tomorrow. That is according to his grandson. Today, the former First Lady will be lying in repose in Atlanta for members of the public to pay their respects. People from across the state and across the country made their way to her hometown of Plains, Georgia in the past week to celebrate her life and her legacy. Earlier, a motorcade traveled through the city of Americus for a wreath-laying ceremony at Carter's alma mater, Georgia Southwestern State University, for a final goodbye. Carter died peacefully earlier this month at the age of 96. President Joe Biden and First Lady Jill Biden are expected to attend a tribute service tomorrow. A private funeral service for family and friends is set to take place on Wednesday morning. Thank you so much for joining Inside Politics today. CNN News Central starts after a quick break. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country.
Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.